Well, welcome again, and uh, we'll gather under a time of listening to God's Word this morning and tune our attention to His Word for His truth and to speak to our hearts. We have been in a new Christmas series anticipating, uh, as Pastor Russell said, expecting as we're in the season of Advent called God with us, Emmanuel, really looking at the evidence that Christ is very present. He wants to be close. As we'll look at today, he wants to be our helper. And so we last week looked at the gifts, the expectation of the gifts, and one of those gifts that that we looked at each week, we'll go through one of them, was that God is with us to save us. And we used the reminder of something in the gift as a light bulb that he came as a light, life for all men, that he came into darkness and he shared light with men. And we need to remember the purpose for which Jesus came. Many of us make up ideas about Jesus and and what he is for us, our kind of personal God, if you will. He came to save us. And this morning we'll look at the fact that Jesus came as our helper. God is with us to help us. So Emmanuel's coming, we got from Matthew 1.23, that God is with us, that uh, this was the prophecy, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so that is our focus on the gift of Jesus Christ as we anticipate in worship this season. So with that, I want to read uh, from John chapter 4. We'll find ourselves in. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to read the first four verses, and this is one of the neatest, most beautiful encounters, I think, uh, one of many in the scriptures of Jesus's encounter with the woman at the well, and we're going to unpack that in, uh, in a kind of a narrative way. I'm actually going to read through verse 6, John 4, 1 through 6, uh, as we, and then we'll cover the rest of it as we're going here. So let me read this, and then I'll pray, and we'll, we'll see what God teaches us. This is what it says. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for me. And I would say this, I've had one of those weeks, so if God makes any sense to you today, or if you hear anything of spiritual like wisdom or anything, God is real because that's not going to be from me today, all right? So we'll ask God to speak to our hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We love you. We need you. Father, I need you. Um, Father, we are people that are desperate for your word and truth, desperate for the grace that you have offered through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would know him today. If if there's one in this room that doesn't know him, that through this gospel encounter that Jesus had with this woman, they would see that you desire to encounter each one of us the same way. And so, Father, we, we pray again that we would hear, that we'd listen, that we would apply truth, that you'd be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said... So when I was little, and I know many of you probably relate to this, when 
I was young and, and I'd ride a bike or I'd run and I'd skin my knee. All I wanted was a Band-Aid. Band-Aid seemed to cause or to solve all of the kids' problems in the world. And I remember when I was little, it wasn't as much that it hurt so bad, but I wanted my mom and I wanted a Band-Aid. And so often I would run in, and I remember even the time where my dad taught me <laughs> how to ride my bicycle with the thorny bushes up the way, which in hindsight I guess I did learn. But I remember crashing right into those bushes, scratches all over my face, all over my arms, and I ran inside mad at my dad, of course, that he abandoned me. He said he was holding on. He lied. Um, and, and I wanted a Band-Aid. And, and much of our life is like that. When, when we grow up, it's really no different. We want some kind of comfort in our life. When our world's a little out of order, as often is the case when that thing happens as a kid, we just want comfort and we want peace. Now I can tell you, and I do this by way of update slash illustration, um, Josiah has had a rougher week. And he um, has spent the last several days in the hospital and almost like 10 days insomnia, no reasons underlying that they could find. And so last night he did get a little more rest with some medicines, but it's been one of those weeks where listening to him cry over last days and listening to him be in pain, all we wanted was peace. And there was another reminder, and it was perspective shaping for me, that we're just broken, desperate people. Doctors in the medical field didn't have answers. They threw a bunch of tests out there. They came back, as Josiah's always does, abnormal, but we just don't know why. And it's frustrating, and it's chaotic. And when there's crying, and when there's stress, and I, and I told a few people, yeah, they asked how it was, and I so appreciate, and I can't thank this church enough for the way that you guys pray for me, for Carrie, for our family. And the increase, I said, yeah, there was a little more stress this week. And, and, and I said that stress was, and I'll tell you this, it was just one of those things some of you know because I told you, Rachel Vale, one of our dear friends, took the kids to her house to stay over so we could, you know, have some time to do all this stuff. And she texts me and she says, yeah, Bella's not feeling so well. And I'm looking at this going, all right, I know what's about to happen. And she says, yeah, Bella just threw up. And I thought to myself, why, God? <laughs> why? This is maddening. And it was just one of those chaotic things. But what we'll see in this text is we are broken and hurt people. And when we are broken and hurt, we just want peace. And Jesus is that peace. God is with us to help us. And this morning, so the reminder for us of our peace is a first aid kit. I thought about, I think about these things of like, what will help us remind ourselves that God is with us to help us. This is it. We come in with this great need physically for first aid, but we say that about the church. This is a hospital for sinners. This is a hospital for broken people. And some of us sit here today and you say, well, I'm doing great. And I, and I hope the Spirit of God challenges you in some way with that. And yet some of us sit here today and you say, you know what? I just like, I'm not doing so great. Whether that's an addiction, a struggle, a sin, and I need healing. And so Jesus comes to this earth and he says, I want to be your help. Do you know I want to help? We looked at last week, he came with the purpose of saving, but then he says, I want to help you. And so we see in this encounter today, this story of this woman at the well, that she experiences Jesus' peace as he comes 
to her aid and he comes to help. But before, as we just, that these three scriptures would just guide us into where this text is going today, I want to share these three scriptures. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says it this way. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God wants to be our helper, to bind up what's broken. Listen to this from Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That was a reminder for us this week. And one more. In Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This is the gift of Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. He is near to those who are brokenhearted. He is near to those who are suffering. He is near to us who struggle in sin and offers us a salvation from that sin and a way of life apart from that sin. And so we encounter John 4 as the story of this broken-hearted woman, the woman at the well. This is a beautiful story of an encounter with Jesus. And as chapter 4 begins, we are told that Jesus leaves Judea, Judea in the south and heads for Galilee in the north and that he went through Samaria. And I want to show you this just for gra- geographical purposes, this image that Jesus is leaving now Jerusalem area, this region of Judea, and he's headed north to Galilee to the region of Samaria. But there's a lot around this story that we'll find. He goes and he stops in this Samaritan town of Sychar. There's a lot of different ways, if we looked at all different maps, that Jesus could have gotten there. But we learn in the first four verses that he moves there because he's learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus is making more disciples than John. That's what the Pharisees' perception, even though Jesus himself did not baptize. So he leaves and he departs. And the reason Jesus left Judea, John says, is because he knew the Pharisees knew something about him. They knew that more people were following Jesus than John. Now there's a lot of speculation. What would prompt him to leave in general? And why did he go there? Well, the connection with chapter three is important because it rules out fear. Jesus didn't leave, and I want, you need to know this as you look at Jesus as our source of help. We want a reliable God. We want to worship a reliable God. One might think Jesus thought the Pharisees would see his popularity rising and attempt to crush it out of fear. He ran. Not the case at all. John had just said in chapter 3, in John three thirty-five, the Father, it says there, if I can find my spot, the Father loves the Son and has given all into his hand. Everything was given into Jesus' hand and authority. Jesus is not the victim of human whim. Nobody can touch him without his permission. Jesus will say later in John 10, 18, that I will give my life, I will lay it down. No one takes it, but I lay it down on my own accord. 
He'll say, that's up to me and my timing, my things. That should be a great comfort as you look and question God's timing of the events, as I did when I said after I got that text, that said, Bella threw up, I had to go back. That's not an out-of-time thing for God. It's an out-of-time thing for me, but God appoints everything for a reason. So he is not leaving Judea because he's afraid. He's leaving for his own purposes. Look at verse 4 as we read. It tells us that he had to pass. And he had to pass through Samaria. No, he didn't. There was other ways he could have gotten there. It says he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field. He had to do it. There was a divine appointment just like he met Nicodemus. There was this divine encounter with the woman at the well. He is going to meet somebody and he is going to help somebody. This beautiful story of John 4 tells us this woman. And I thought myself, here's the well. Jesus is finding himself sitting by this well. And you have to see the magnitude. You really have to see the beauty of this story. And I want to move through this text. If you had a Bible, it'd be helpful. We're going to show the verses on the screen. But he goes into this town, and it says in verse 5, that he came to a town called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And in verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. Now you look at it, you say, Jacob's well, is there any significance to Jacob's well. Not much is mentioned at all about Jacob's well, but we know that Jacob was the father of the Jews, father of Israel. And so I think it is a little significant as he is about to encounter the Samaritan woman who is not Jewish. We'll talk about the, in, when we get to verse 9, this Jew-Gentile mix. But Jesus is going to now offer salvation to somebody other than the Jews. We saw in the story of Nicodemus that Nicodemus came from that Jewish line. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. And Jesus encountered him and he wanted eternal life. And Jesus spoke to him that that is going to be supernatural. That is going to be from the Spirit of God. You must be born again. But now Jesus encounters a different person, one who is not completely Jewish, a Jew-Gentile mix, and he's going to offer her salvation as well. It says he's sitting there at about noon, tired from this journey, and this is key in verse 7 and 8. A woman from Samaria comes to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It is very unique that Jesus is alone in this moment. He has sent his disciples off. When you read this story, you have to know that everything is with reason for purpose. Jesus finds himself alone, I believe, on purpose to encounter this woman. His disciples would have intervened and they would have said, don't do that, you can't do that. He would have told them like he told them several times, you don't know what you're talking about. He was doing something here. He was sitting alone, but it was very strange that he spoke and that he talked to this Samaritan woman. He says, give me a drink. Imagine the scene. Here comes this woman, and I want you to visualize this. And he talks to her, but she's from Samaria. Jews avoided Samaritans. Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Why? Why is that? Here is a little historical description from D.A. Carson about this situation. 
And I'll read it. It's going to make sense with, with dates and capture all of that. After the Assyrians captured Samaria, the northern capital of Israel, in 722 BC, they deported all the Israelites of substance and settled in a land with foreigners who then intermarried with the surviving Israelites and adhered to some form of ancient religion. You can find that in 2 Kings. And so after the exile of the southern kingdom in Babylon, the Jews returning to their homeland viewed the Samaritans not only, listen, as children of, of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted by various unacceptable elements. One of those is going to be important for this encounter was in about 400 BC, the Samaritans erected a rival temple on the mountain. She's going to talk about that where her fathers worshipped. But they, they erected this rival temple. These people are politically rebellious. They are racial half-breeds. So we have an ethnic, racial, and religious issue in play that made Jews feel a disdain for Samaritans. They were ceremonially unclean. They were racially impure. They were religiously heretical, and therefore they were avoided. To feel the weight of this, to feel the weight of this, you have to just put it in this context, maybe to understand what's happening as Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman. We need to think back to the racial divide in the 50s and 60s in this country, where there was plumbing systems that were devoted to two separate people that we were so strategic in our humanity to create two terrible systems where we had one water fountain for whites and one water fountain for colored people. And that was the racism in our country. And so people would have to go. Colored people would have to drink from that fountain and white people would have to drink from this fountain. To understand the weight of what's happening here, it's not a lot different. There is one fountain in Sakar. There is one well. There is one pool in the middle of this village. And so Jesus sits here and this black colored woman comes up with her water bo bottle to drink, to get her water. And Jesus says, can I have a drink? That just doesn't happen. It didn't happen here and it didn't happen then. And so you have to see the magnitude of what Jesus is encountering here. He is crossing all of those racial, all of those religious, all of those political lines, and he's asking her for a drink from her water, one fountain in this system of two separate, and he's intermingling, and he is pursuing an unacceptable relationship. He's pursuing somebody that ought not be pursued by a Jew, someone who's racially, ceremonially unclean, someone who is broken, someone who is an outcast, a woman who had given herself, we'll learn, in many marriages, promiscuous, searching for peace in all the wrong places. My guess is that she was quite lonely. But remember, Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And so here Jesus sits at the well to bring peace to broken people to this woman's life as she comes. And look at what he says in verse 10. Look at what he says to us today. Look at what he reminds us with when we need peace. He says, if you knew, if you knew the gift, we're talking about Christmas presents this series. If you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus sits waiting, and he says, if you knew the gift that I am to humanity, to you, and you and I search for peace and comfort, and Carrie and I arguably did that with medicine again. Part of our frustration and chaos was because we wanted medicine to help him again, and sometimes we, in our brokenness, forget that Jesus is the only one that's going to be in charge of this deal. He's the only one that's going to give us peace. And by God's grace, I'm here sitting here smiling and talking to you because he's done that. And I haven't been perfect in that, but as Nancy read, he is not unable to sympathize. He can sympathize in our weakness. He knows we need his help. And so just as confused as the Nicodemus encounter, this woman looks back at Jesus, as often we do in spiritual things, and she's confused, and she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She's kind of missing it here. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Much like Nicodemus, how can a man be born again? That doesn't make any sense. Can I climb back in my mother's womb? She looks at the well and says, the well is deep. You have nothing to draw. She is failing to recognize who she's talking to. As you and I fail to recognize who we worship sometimes. The God of appointment and complete control of time. There's no, he left because he was scared of the Pharisees. All things the father had given him into his hand. He does things because he wants to. He has purpose in them, and you need to know that. And so look at his response again. And Jesus said to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water, this well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Everyone who drinks of this world, everyone who searches from peace from this world will be thirsty for more of it. You'll never be satisfied. It will never be complete. You'll never find what you're looking for. And Jesus sits here, and I believe even today, challenging your heart and saying, whatever you've been looking for that hasn't been bringing you peace, it'll never happen unless you encounter me. That's the water that wells up to eternal life. And in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water a little confused still, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water, but she's starting to connect it. She's starting to recognize that Jesus is the answer. He is going to fill. And she says, I want that. Why? Because she has dirty laundry. Because she is broken. Because she has a bunch of issues, like you and I have a bunch of issues. Because she has secrets that are not secret to Jesus, and he'll learn that. Because she is messed up, she's broken, and she needs help. Jesus says in verse 16, go call your husband and tell him to come here. And, and he is showing her that I can see right into your heart. I know your life. I know every detail. And I believe he looks at us in that way to say to you, to say to me, I know all your fears. I know exactly what you're doing. You don't fool you might fool other people, but you don't fool me. I know what you're insecure about. I know where you're struggling. I know why you cry, and you don't have an explanation for that because you just sometimes cry when you just feel like, I don't understand. These are just, he knows these things. I looked at that word mourning when we were singing, and I just sometimes when I see 
And I just thought of Josiah. This is tough. He knows that. He knows that we don't like to watch our son struggle and suffer. And sometimes I challenge that and say, God, do you, why do you allow this then? But he knows. He knows everything about us. And he looks at her and says, go call your husband. Woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. And saying that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is still not your husband. What you've said is true. He is validating. He's connecting. She is encountering truth and light. And he's saying, I know who you are. I know what your dirty laundry is. But what he does in this scene is he says, that's fine. That's okay. You can come to me. I'm here so I can help you. I'm here so I can save you and redeem you from all of that garbage that you sit in and struggle in. And Jesus teaches her that he will accept her where she is at, but then he'll go on and teach her in verses 16 through 26, and we're not going to dive through all of this in detail. He will teach her what true worship is. She perceives him as a prophet, and Jesus responds and says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, truth. The Spirit, the salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people. We are not seeking Jesus. The Father is seeking. Jesus is encountering. Jesus had to go to Saqqara because she was there. He is the one who is seeking after the lost, broken people. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He says, there's a time coming that this world will be restored. There's a time coming that you can have peace, and I am he that brings it. I am Emmanuel, God with us, to help you. And he looks at this woman and says, yeah, you're dirty laundry, but I accept that. Friends, we are a mess. You and I are a mess, of, just a mess of brokenness. You and I sit in the weight of sin. You and I, as Paul said, I do what I do not want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. We live in this world of fallen nature where we go after things, where our heart breaks over things, where we doubt God, where we don't trust God. We're a mess. When will we realize that? And here Jesus is, and he points it out, and he says, you're wounded. You need first aid. You need healing. And it's on us and our response in that way to acknowledge, yeah, I'm desperate. Jesus is that healing He says, I who speak to you am he. How gracious God is to offer and afford this kind of grace. And what happens? What happened when she got that? And we know the moment of connection for her when she got it. Because what happens when you're overwhelmed by the grace of God and all your sin and all your chaos and all the things you said, I wish I wasn't like this, or this is the challenge that I have in front of me, and this is just a mess. When she gets this, she goes and tells everybody about it. Listen to what she says in verse 29. She runs off into her village, this outcast, this lonely woman who was probably judged and talked about behind her back in a million different ways. She meets Jesus. She's had an encounter with a Jew, and this this whole thing is weird. And she runs back and says, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Come see a man who's light, who exposed all my garbage. 
who exposed all the sin. And she's okay with that. How often do you go to other people? And I want to tell you all about, this guy just pointed out all my flaws. I want to share it with you. We don't do that. And she says, come see a man who told me all I ever did, exposed all my sin for what it was. And can this be the Christ? She goes and says to these people, this guy's okay with all my dirty laundry. He wants to help me in it. He wants to heal me in it. And by the time you get down to verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And in verse 41 and 42, it says, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. No longer because of what she said, but because of what they finally heard and experienced themselves. They know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Friends, God wants to help us. God wanted to help me this last week. He wanted to help carry this last week. He wanted to help our family. It didn't feel like that, but we were reminded that he wants to help and he wants to aid in, and he wants to sympathize and he wants to restore and he wants to redeem. He wants to bring peace. In all of our sin and brokenness, Jesus came to save and to heal. And what, we're all, what will our response be? Will it be like the woman at the well in verse 15 that says, I want that. I've been trying so many other things. Even, I'm not just talking to non-believers right now. I'm talking to people that know but still think that they can fix things another way. Jesus is the only peace, and I'm thankful, as you should be thankful, that he is near to the brokenhearted. I am thankful that I have a high priest who is able to sympathize with me in my weakness. I am thankful that this living water wells up to eternal life. I am thankful that I don't just get a Band-Aid. I get so much more than that in the comfort and the hope of heaven. I get so much more. And this last week I thought again, I don't like that he struggles, and I've shared this with you thousands of times, but this is not the end. This is not all there is to Josiah. This is not all there is to us. I have the hope and peace of heaven. My task then is thankfulness. As hard as that is sometimes, it's witness. It's to tell everyone about who he is. And we're going to hear about those testimonies, those telling everyone from three people as I pray for us and we transition to a time where we celebrate three people that have acknowledged that Jesus is the peace giver. Three people that will stand here and they'll be baptized today and they'll say, Jesus healed. Jesus took an old life and he created a new one. They know and they will testify today through their own unique story that God is here as their Emmanuel to save them and to help them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we praise you that you are our helper. Father, we are desperate to come to you and you expose all of our sin we learned last week by light and truth. And Father, Jesus didn't come to condemn, he came to save. And so when we see this encounter at the well, we look at this woman who's broken, ashamed, like many of us are in this room. 
And Father, you invite us. You sought after. You seek for us to know you and to say, it's okay. All this sin, I came to die for this and be raised over this, to have victory over it. And Father, that we would turn away from that old life that you created a new one and that we would worship you. Father, we praise you that you're so gracious and merciful, that you redeem and restore broken things. And so, Father, I pray that all of us would give our life in a return, that if there is one in this room who has been searching for peace anywhere other than the person of Jesus Christ, that they would know him now and respond to him by faith that they would seek forgiveness, that they would even hear these testimonies of these three individuals that have come to the knowledge of faith and that they would pray to receive you as Lord and Savior and not just a prayer that saves, but that they would follow you and trust in obedience. Father, would you by your spirit move in our hearts as we celebrate grace today and new life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.